Hello, this is Sandra Hindman, founder and president of Les Enlumineurs. We specialize in manuscripts, miniatures, historic jewelry, and other small-scale works of art from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Welcome, and please enjoy today's podcast. Hello, Les Enlumineurs listeners. This is Kristen Racanello, the host of the Lesson in Year podcast. Two weeks ago, we discussed stenciled books, specifically stenciled choir books, and that got me thinking about one of the major transitions in bookmaking, other than the transition from handwritten and painted manuscripts to printing. That is, the transition from parchment to paper. We have already discussed parchment, papyrus, and amate, or bark paper, and we've briefly touched on papermaking in episode 25. So today, we will return to papermaking and the process of papermaking to discuss, in particular, watermarks and their useful role in dating and locating the origin of manuscripts and printed books. As previously discussed, Paper is a thin, pressed material usually made from a combination of milled plant and textile fibers. Importantly, paper is not a woven material. The first papermaking process was documented in China during the Eastern Han period, which was from about 25 to 220 CE, traditionally attributed to the court official Sai Lun. Before this time, Chinese scribes wrote on strips of wood or bamboo with a pointed stylus, but this was a very difficult process. In the 3rd century BCE, Chinese scribes transitioned to using woven cloth as a base material, usually silk, which they painted with a bound hairbrush. This was the beginning of calligraphy as we understand it today. However, using woven textiles was costly and wasteful as the cloth was trimmed down and made into books and scrolls. The date often given for the invention of papermaking is the year 105, but this is a rather arbitrary choice. The actual experimental process of mixing disintegrated fibers occurred over a long period of time and was not publicly recognized until well after the process had been perfected. The year 105 is often referenced because that is the date wherein the invention was officially reported to the Han Dynasty emperor by the eunuch and court official Sai Lun. It is still unclear whether Sai Lun was the inventor or simply the patron of the final papermaking process. In either case, in a move that was about 1,900 years ahead of its time, Sai Lun, or his inventor, had figured out a way to recycle waste materials from other processes. In honor of his achievement, the emperor granted him the title of Marquis in the year 114. Interestingly, the idea of papermaking may have developed out of the ancient Chinese technique of felting, which predates even the process of weaving. Felt is a textile material that is produced by matting, condensing, and pressing fibers together. Many cultures have legends about the origins of felt making. Sumerian legend, for example, claims that the secret of felt-making was discovered by Ernaman of Lagash. 
Another interesting medieval origin story is the legend of St. Clement and St. Christopher, which relates that the men packed their sandals with wool to prevent blisters while fleeing from persecution. At the end of their journey, the movement and sweat had turned the wool into felt socks. However, felt likely developed in Central Asia. Siberian tombs from the 7th to the 2nd century BCE show the broad uses of felt for clothing, jewelry, wall hangings, elaborate horse blankets, and more. Employing careful color use, stitching, and other techniques, these ancient Siberian felt makers were able to use felt as an illustrative and decorative medium on which they could depict abstract designs and realistic scenes with great skill. Over time, these makers became known for beautiful abstract patterns that they used and that were derived from plant, animal, and other types of symbolic designs. So from Siberia and Mongolia, felt making spread across the areas held by Turkic Mongolian tribes. Sheep and camel herds were central to the wealth and lifestyle of these tribes, both of which are critical to producing the fibers needed for felting. So it's a natural relationship between migratory herders and felt making. Felt making is still practiced by nomadic tribes in Central Asia, where rugs, tent, and clothing are regularly made. Some of these are more traditional items like the classic yurt, while others are designed more for the tourist market, so things like decorated slippers and purses. In the medieval period, during the 8th century, Chinese papermaking spread to the Islamic world, where pulp mills and paper mills were used for papermaking and moneymaking. By the 11th century, papermaking was brought to Europe. The oldest known paper document in Europe is the fascinating Missal of Silos from the 11th century, probably using paper made in the Islamic part of the Iberian Peninsula. The Missal is Codex No. 6, held in the library of the monastery of Santo Domingo de Silos in Spain. It is one of a number of liturgical manuscripts with the Mozarabic rite that have been preserved in the Silos library. The codex is named after its current location in Silos, but was not actually made at the monastery's scriptorium. Instead, it was made at the monastery of Santa Maria Le Real of Najera. The paper for the missal, made of hemp and linen rags, is believed to have been manufactured in the Islamic sphere of the Iberian Peninsula, even though Najera was in Christian territory at the time the document was created. Like many valuable goods, paper was traded for and traveled. The first recorded paper mill in the Iberian Peninsula was in Zatava in 1056, and papermaking was refined in these mills utilizing water wheels in Spain. It's clear that France had a paper mill by 1190, and by 1276, mills were established in Fabriano, Italy, and in Treviso and other northern Italian towns by 1340. Papermaking spread northwards after this, with evidence of paper being made in Troyes, France in 1348, in Holland sometime around the 1340s, and in Nuremberg, Germany by 1390. 
This was just about the time when woodcut printmaking technique was transferred from fabric to paper in the old master print and in other types of popular prints. There was a paper mill in Switzerland by 1432, and the first mill in England was set up by John Tate around 1490 near Hertford, but the very first commercially successful paper mill didn't occur before 1588, when John Spillman set up a mill near Dartford in Kent. So during this time, paper making spread to Austria by 1469, to Poland, to Russia, to the Netherlands, and to Denmark, and finally Sweden by 1612. Muslim prisoners and previously enslaved artisans settled in a town called Borgo Sereseno in the Italian province of Ferrara. They introduced Fabriano artists in the province of Ancona to the technique of making paper by hand. At the time, they were renowned for their wool weaving and manufacture of cloth. Fabriano papermakers considered the process of making paper by hand an art form and were able to refine this process to successfully compete with parchment, which was the primary medium for writing at the time. They developed the application of stamping hammers to reduce rags to a pulp for making paper, sizing paper by means of animal glue, and creating watermarks, importantly, in the paper during its forming process. Fabriano papermakers used glue obtained by boiling scrolls or scraps of animal skin to size the paper. It's possible this technique was recommended by local tanneries. The introduction of the first European watermarks in Fabriano was linked to applying metal wires on a cover laid against the mold, which was used for forming the paper. With this claim to fame, Fabriano in fact has an entire paper and watermark museum. The museum and archive is based on the papermaking tradition in Fabriano, documented since the 12th century. However, the museum focuses on handmade paper and watermark techniques in medieval Italy broadly. At the museum, you can see how paper and watermarks have evolved over the years into the high-tech security mechanisms embedded in paper checks and banknotes today. A watermark is a design produced by creating a variation in the thickness of paper fiber during the wet phase of paper making. This design is clearly visible when the paper is held up to a light source and is caused by thickness or density variations in the paper. So, if and when a watermark paper is put in front of you, resting on a table for example, this piece of paper might look like just a rectangle of pure, unadulterated whiteness. But then, if you hold it up to the light, and especially against a window, the design of the watermark will appear. It's sometimes also possible to spot a watermark by using raking light across the paper. Watermarks have been used on many different things, including postage stamps, currency, and other government documents to discourage counterfeiting, as I mentioned when talking about the Paper and Watermark Museum in Fabriano. Watermarks vary greatly in their visibility. While some are obvious on casual inspection, as I just mentioned, others require some study to pick out. Various aids have developed, such as watermark fluid that wets the paper without damaging it. 
A watermark is very useful in the examination of paper because it can be used for dating, identifying sizes, mill trademarks and locations, and determining the quality of a sheet of paper. Watermarks are known to have existed in Italy before the end of the 13th century. Two types of watermark have been produced. The more common type, which produces a translucent design when held up to a light, is produced by a wire design laid over and sewn into the sheet mold wire. That is, a technique that's used for handmade paper, or another technique which is attached to the dandy roll for machine-made paper. The rarer shaded watermark is produced by a depression in sheet mold wire, which results in a greater density of fibers, hence a shaded or darker design when held up to a light. So again, that process is only for machine-made paper. Watermarks are often used commercially to identify the manufacturer or the grade of paper. They have also been used to detect and prevent counterfeiting and forgery. Carriere Milani Fabriano is the oldest continuously operated paper mill in Europe, founded in the year 1264. There isn't a consensus on what the earliest watermarks were for. They could have been to identify particular paper or the manufacturer. They could have been in the service of kings, uh, sort of like a heraldic device, to convey a secret message or the most likely, in my opinion, is to prove the provenance of the message that is using the paper. Watermarks eventually became used to mark different types of paper or for different batches. Remember, 13th century Europe generally was a time of religious pilgrimage and Romanesque churches of the time were often filled with various different symbols that the faithful could read. It was a time when badges were worn on the body signifying both allegiance to various figures of faith, such as the saints, as well as the lord of a manor to signify social allegiances. So in that context, a symbol rather than a written message would be much more useful to common workers who are moving paper around the known world. An excellent book titled Fabriano, City of Medieval and Renaissance Papermaking by Sylvia Rogers Albro focuses on the first 500 years of papermaking in Italy. Albro is a senior paper conservator at the Library of Congress. Her interest in handmade Italian paper was sparked when examining a legal document on Italian watermarked paper dating back to the 1500s. The paper was still in beautiful condition, and later she found more ancient paper records, all in wonderful condition and all originating from the Fabriano area in various Italian archives and museums. Her book opens with a sonnet, an ode to paper, dated 1630 and written by Stelluti, a scientist and poet whose family were papermakers in Fabriano. Quote, all that happens here on earth it records, seemingly fragile, yet more enduring than marble. It gives long life to our words." End quote. 
Albro outlines many existing theories about how papermaking and the use of watermarks originated in Fabriano, and she guides readers on a visual sort of show-and-tell of her own photographs of structures in Fabriano and her beta radiography of watermarks of medieval records. For instance, she notes that Gaspar Netti, the former president of the Cartier Miliani Fabriano, theorized a potential link between Fabriano papermaking and the Middle East via the coastal city Ancona, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast. Albro brings this idea to life in a photograph of the archive of the San Antonio Confraternity Building, located just outside of Fabriano. Above the arch is a carved T for Tau, the symbol of the Order of the Knights, a society associated with the Knights Templar. Another picture shows that this same exact T symbol was used as a watermark in a 15th century Italian document. Members of this secret society likely fought in the Crusades and brought home a rich collection of ideas from their encounters. The presence of Fabriano and the watermarked symbol suggests a potential connection and transfer of knowledge in papermaking between Jerusalem and Fabriano. An image of a notary from 1282 to 1302 shows readers some of the earliest watermarks produced in Fabriano are Arabic numerals, suggesting a link between the merchants and monasteries that use these symbols and the papermaking industry in Fabriano. If you were a scribe in 15th century Italy, you might recognize that, oh, this paper has these crossed arrows, and that's the good stuff from Fabriano. And you might look for it again in a stationer's shop. Though an individual mold only lasted about a year when in full production, a watermark symbol was remade again and again on new molds associated with a given paper mill. Watermarks also wore out over the course of a year, changing slightly in shape and definition. This provides a unique fingerprint that one day might be used to more closely identify production from a single mill, and maybe even trace specimens to an individual mold. Over time, watermarks changed from whole names of paper makers, which are long, complex, and therefore difficult to maintain in a paper mold, to images of objects, like a hunting horn, animals like leaping deer, insignia of family crests, and talismans like keys. Albro's book on Fabriano presents wonderful photographs and often radiographs, as mentioned, of these watermarks throughout the text, displaying images of Fabriano paper from the special collections of the Library of Congress. One example is the Library of Congress incunable manuscript of Bartolo di Sassaferrato's Super Prima Parte Digesti Novi, printed in Venice in 1478 by the French printer Nicholas Jensen of Fabriano paper, with watermarks of a crossbow, a ladder, scissors, crossed arrows, and an encircled anchor and a prelate's hat. So you can see how complex and varied these types of watermarks from Fabriano could be. Watermarks, combined with other markers such as stylistic marks and iconography, are important markers of provenance in our own research at Les Enlumineurs. 
For example, a previous old master drawing of the Adoration of the Magi was located in Franconia due to a combination of iconographic, material, and watermark evidence. Compositional details, including the presence of the round table, as well as the prominent placement and specific gestures of Joseph, who tips his pointed hat with one hand as he extends the other toward one of the magi to receive a gift, draw closely on Netherlandish examples, such as an altarpiece by Dirk Bouts. New expertise, though, suggests this drawing might actually preserve a copy of a lost painting from the Pleidenwarf Herlin circle in the later 1460s. This watermark is a pivotal piece of information as it is localizable to Ulm around 1462, supporting this date and origin associated with the Pleidenwarf Herlin circle. This is the period in Germany, specifically in the region of Franconia, where German art was fully assimilating Netherlandish influences. The pose of the youthful kneeling king in this drawing, along with those of the Virgin and Child, is compositionally very close to a painting ascribed to Bomberg. However, not all medieval watermarks are identifiable just like medieval and Renaissance heraldry. An example is in our text manuscript 1181, a Carthusian ordinarium for the mass and office, made in southern France on November 15, 1544. This handbook for the Carthusian liturgy for new priests was copied at a Carthusian charter house in southern France and is securely dated in the scribal colophon at the end of part one. It is a manuscript about the Mass and Divine Office, setting forth rules that govern the complex liturgical life of a Carthusian monastery. The information it contains is thus very different than the contents of much more common liturgical manuscripts like missals or breviaries. The unidentified watermark is a cross on a mount. Despite its currently unknown origin, this watermark may one day contribute further knowledge to the history of this manuscript, specifically additional information about who manufactured this paper and how it was used and where. So, to summarize, watermarks were the paper maker's logo and their calling card. Unfortunately, most studies of watermarks generally do not connect watermarked paper to specific mills, although Sylvia Albro's 2016 book on Fabriano is the one great exception. Watermarks can be helpful in supporting or denying other evidence about the manuscript in question and providing a general date for undated manuscripts. It can also provide important evidence about the movement of paper across Afro-Eurasia. For example, an early printed book from Spain may contain Italian paper. Not because Spain didn't have paper, again, it was one of the earliest places in Europe to have paper making, but because by the late 15th century, Italians were making some of the very highest quality paper and shipping it all across Europe. This is the case with one of the earliest printed books from Seville, a Dominican processional from 1494 that contains Italian paper. So, that's all for today's episode on watermarks. 
Although the winter show has moved to the spring, our other exhibitions are opening in February. On February 23rd, an exhibition on medieval women will open in the Chicago Gallery and online. And beginning next Thursday, January 27th, you can view our special Valentine's Day offerings online. So, please stay tuned for more information about our upcoming fairs and additional exhibitions. In other news, the Lesson Lumineer podcast is moving to a bi-weekly schedule, so you will hear from us next on February 3rd. After that, you can continue to expect new episodes every two weeks on special topics related to our fields of interest. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast, and even to share this podcast with a friend who might be interested. We would also really love to hear your thoughts about this episode's topic. Do you know something about watermarks that can help expand our understanding? Do you have other thoughts that you'd like to share about the podcast? You can let us know. You can find out more about our inventory on our website, and you can reach out with any of your comments and questions through our social media at Listen Year. Thank you for listening.